0: Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, how do we know when the gospel has been preached in all the nations? And what does all the nations even mean? Well, stay with us to find out. This is the question and answer program of Through the Bible Radio Network with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who for over 30 years answered the many questions of his listeners. We hope that you'll be able to join us for the next 30 minutes as Dr. McGee applies his wit and wisdom to answering questions about the Word of God. Let's begin our program with this question from a listener in Sandy, Oregon. It reads, Could you provide specific scriptures which affirm the pre-tribulation view? Is it possible that some of these passages could be interpreted on speculation?
1: May I say to you that there is a great deal of scripture that is pre-tribulation. There are some very excellent books that are out today, books written by Dr. John Wolfe, Dr. Dwight Pentecost, Dr. Layman Strauss, other men that Have gone into this and I again would recommend these to you and I have several books out too on this subject in fact I suppose that I've got it in a half a dozen books and let me answer your questions these scriptures are John 14 and I think that that is a passage although so familiar yet greatly misunderstood That's made on the background of a first-century wedding among the Israelites. And the Lord Jesus is telling them that he's going away to prepare a place and come and get his bride. Now, he doesn't say that he's coming to put her through the great tribulation period, burn her wedding dress and all that sort of thing. It's something that's very happy, something to be anticipated. And you have that same thing in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, beginning about the 13th verse. You have it in many places looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, all of that that's given there is certainly pre-tribulation. Nothing like that predicted for the church, and yet right by the side of Of that are scriptures that tell of a time coming on this earth of unparalleled trouble. But nowhere does it say the church is going through that. And when the Lord wrote to the church in Philadelphia, he says, I'm going to keep you from that hour. Now, how much more do you want? I get so weary today of these people that say, well, what are the scriptures? Then you give them to them, and they turn right around And come back and ask the same question again and again. Now, could any of these be speculated? Do you think that the Word of God is speculated? Do you think that John 3, 16 is speculated? I don't think so. Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in the heavens. And when he says, I'm coming to take you out of the world, I think he means exactly what he says. He doesn't mean something else.
0: Our next question comes from a listener in San Diego. He writes, I recall that you once said that the unsaved would be judged by Jesus. I thought the unsaved will come before the great white throne for judgment before God, not before Jesus, according to Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. Won't we be with Jesus as believers having a great time, maybe at the marriage supper of the Lamb?
1: Well, I don't like the way that you have put it, that we'll be having a gay old time while the lost are being judged. I don't think it's that way. And I think that you have misunderstood Revelation 20, 11, and 12. They'll all stand before God, but who is God? The Lord Jesus Christ is God. And he is the one that will be judging them there. Now you say to me, how do you know that it will be the Lord Jesus? It says God. It doesn't say God the Father to begin with. And then we need to recognize that John, when he wrote his gospel, also had written John five twenty-two, where the Lord Jesus said, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now, that's John 5:22, and that makes it very clear that the Father will not be the one to judge mankind, the lost, but it will be in charge of God, the Son. So that's the reason that I made that statement, and I do believe it is a Bible answer that we have.
0: Moving on, we come now to a question sent to us from Albuquerque, New Mexico. The listener writes, What determines, from God's point of view, when the gospel has been preached in all the world? Does this mean a house-to-house explanation of the gospel? Or a countrywide presentation via mass media, like the radio? How do we determine if a particular country has heard the gospel?
1: May I say that you and I do not make a determination here how many are going to hear, when it will take place, and the method by which it takes place. I believe at the present moment that the only way to reach the world with their own language is by radio. I can see that there's no other way at the present moment. Now, down the line, God may have another method. I'm not sure about that. But we are not the ones to make the determination of when that will take place. Our order is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it doesn't say to do it by any certain method. And it doesn't say that a certain percentage will hear or all will hear. Now, there is a verse of scripture in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew that has been greatly abused in this connection. In verse 14 of Matthew 24, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, the context of that verse makes it, Impossible to lift it out and make application of it for today. For this is a section where the Lord Jesus Christ was answering a question of the apostles. They wanted to know what is the sign of the end of the age. And he's answering that. And he tells about the great tribulation period, which shall end it, by the way. And in that, it's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel we preach today, with the addition of the fact that they'll be able to say then that He's coming soon, because that is in that seven year period, and they can say He's coming soon. We can't say that today, though we do say it. The Lord Jesus never meant 1900 years ago when He said, Behold, I come quickly that he was coming soon. That means those events that are connected with the great tribulation are going to happen so rapidly that when they begin to happen, then you can say, Behold, I come quickly. He's coming soon. And they'll be able to say that then. But that is in the day when the gospel is going to be preached during the Great Tribulation period. And that does not refer to this day in which we live at all. So it's almost to say it's beside the point for you and me to make a determination of how many is going to hear. Our business is to get the Word of God up to the ear gate of as many people as we can today. But for some strange reason, the church has been detoured today, and it's busy about many things. It's been busy here and there, and the whole program that we were to follow has been forgotten. It's got away from us. And our business is to get the Word of God out. That's the primary business of the church today. That's what the Lord Jesus said. You're going to be witnesses unto me to the very end of the world. And today we're engaged in so many things. However well it is to take care of human needs. Our business is not to feed them rice. Our business is to get men and women to Christ. And when we do that, then they'll be getting the rice to them. Our government is engaged in a project of trying to get foodstuffs out to the world, yet we're not feeding the hungry world at all. But nevertheless, we are making a stab at it, and we're probably the only nation that is. And the only people that are engaged in this just happen to be people that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, or they've lived in a land where it's been preached, and it has had an influence Upon them.
0: Now, here's a letter from a listener in Muskegon, Michigan, who writes, I understand that you teach that the tribulation will occur right after the rapture of the church. I would like to hear your interpretation of Ezekiel 30, verse 26, which says, I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. I once heard a Bible teacher state that in no time in history has this been fulfilled, and he believes that this will take place after the rapture, during a time when the Antichrist will be growing up to the age of 30 years, mimicking the life and times of Jesus before offering himself as the great peacemaker. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, may I say that it seems to me that there is too much speculation in this interpretation and not enough scripture. That is, this interpretation goes entirely beyond what the Word of God has to say. Now, to begin with, if you read the entire passage there, Ezekiel is speaking of the Babylonian captivity. And he was one of the captives. He was then in Babylon, that is, by the rivers of Babylon or the canals of Babylon. And he's speaking that what had happened to Israel, that they were carried into captivity, that the same thing was going to happen to the Egyptians. Now, that same thing happened to the Egyptians. Secular history tells the fact that the people of Pharaoh were taken in captivity and scattered as the children of Israel were scattered. The only thing is they never went back to their land as Israel went back to the land. What they did was they were scattered and I would say that sort of a hybrid people moved into Egypt. And you have left there the circumstances the same that you have in Israel. When the Israelites were all taken out and taken to Babylon, there were a group that were left that were not taken, and they intermarried with the people in the land, and they were the Samaritans, you remember. And they are there today. Well, you have that same kind of thing in Egypt today. The people in Egypt are not the proud nation of the Pharaohs. So that this interpreter of Scripture... I do not know who you're referring to. He seems to have no knowledge of history whatsoever. And he's attempting to make more or less of a sensational interpretation, which Scripture does not in anywhere indicate that, for instance, Antichrist will be mimicking Jesus in growing up. I don't think that we have any basis for that whatsoever whatsoever. And I can't understand why people today don't test these things by the word of God and by history, by the way.
0: Our next question comes to us from a listener in Leesdale, Pennsylvania. She writes, Will you explain Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, and how God's setting of the bounds of the people there relates to Israel? Also, does Acts 17, verse 26 mean that God originally had expected the nations to stay within the bounds of their habitation?
1: All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy 32, 8, and we'll read Deuteronomy 32, 8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Well, God's saying something here that's quite spectacular, I think, that nations have been arranged on this earth according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, that's the way that God did it at the very beginning. Now, this party is referring us now to Acts, the 17th chapter. And we'll turn there, Acts seventeen twenty-six. And he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Well, I do not think that God expected the nation to stay within the bounds of their habitation at all because he himself scattered his own people And he also scattered the other nations. We've just had a question today. Ezekiel predicted that the Egyptians would be scattered. No, the judgment has been upon the nations and that they're the reason they're scattered over the face of the earth. You know, it's quite interesting. We are a nation today here in the United States that are made up of apparently wasn't the habitation of anyone. I think it's rather naive today to say that we took the land away from the Indians. Actually, that's not quite accurate. The Indians got here just a little before we did, and they had not really set the bounds of it themselves. The tribes were having war constantly, and the tribes were shifting back and forth everywhere so that we are made up of a nation beginning with the Indians and then there was the coming of others. And today we are an example of the fact that God has judged the nations and the habitation that they were put in so that there's been this constant movement. And today we are a new nation that has come up, made up of apparently all nations And I personally believe that we are not going to survive that. I think there's abundance of evidence that at the last days that uh, the United States is a great world power just doesn't happen to be around.
0: The same listener has a second question. She says, is there going to be a judgment of individual nations according to Matthew 25, verse 32? Will they be judged according to their dealings with Israel? Or is this a judgment of individuals within the nations?
1: Well, I have taken the position because I suppose I was taught that and I've never seen any reason to change. I only change what I've been taught when I think that a change is necessary and I've never felt that there was a change here necessary. I felt that this is a judgment of nations as nations to enter the millennium and that the basis on which They are judged as their treatment of Israel during the Great Tribulation period, and they will do it at a great price. And we're seeing that right now. We are really in a bad spot. We are helping the nation Israel, and I think we should. Yet when we do that, we antagonize the OPEC nations, the Arab nations that have all the oil. And we do need that oil can today. It presents a real problem, and I think it's cost us a great deal to support the nation Israel. I think it's been a very expensive venture, and I submit to you that it is something that we should do. And this is what I think they'll be doing in the Great Tribulation. Now, may I say to you, there has come along today a group of outstanding young scholars... And I bow to them because they are scholars. And they're taking the positions that these are individuals in the nations. Now, I see nothing to militate against that interpretation as I see nothing to militate against the other. I think here's a place where the way you feel, it should be interpreted. I still feel it's the nation's. And these men feel that it's the individuals and the nations, and they have a very strong argument for that. So I would say to you, take either one. Of course, if you wanted to be right, you'd want to go along with me, I'm sure.
0: Our final question comes to us from a listener in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who asks, What do you think about referring to the Lord Jesus Christ as J.C.? A number of young people of my own age group call him this, and I cringe whenever I hear it as it sounds disrespectful and too familiar. I notice that the ones who do this like to refer to Christ as their older brother rather than Lord. They understand J.C. to be a family nickname. Am I being too stuffy, or is this really taking Christ's name in vain by using it in a light, irreverent manner?
1: Well, very candidly, I think it's blaspheming for them to do that sort of thing. You do not assume that familiarity with the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not seem to recognize in this day when there's been such an overemphasis on love, and we do have a lot of sloppy agape around today, and folk assume a familiarity that the Bible does not permit. Now, if the Lord Jesus Christ came in where you are and where I am right now, we wouldn't be standing on our feet calling him J.C. We'd be down on our faces worshiping him and calling him Lord and Savior. And he is the great God. And today, there is a verse of Scripture that apparently... A great many haven't learned, and it's the first lesson that we are to learn. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And somebody says, you mean a cringing fear? No, but I mean a very reverent fear. God is love, but God also judges sin. And if Vernon McGee went into the presence of God in his own righteousness clothed in my own righteousness, I want to say this to you, that I wouldn't be able to stand there. I would be put out. I wouldn't have the right wedding garment. And the right wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ, and that's the only way that any sinner can come into the presence of Christ. And I do not like all this familiarity today that I find in prayers that are being uttered, especially in conversational prayer. Talk to... God as if he's your next-door neighbor. My friend, may I say to you, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and you cannot come rushing into the presence of God, and I don't care if you're a redeemed sinner. You have to come in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only way into God's presence. He says, no man cometh to the Father but by me. And I want to say to you that he also said he and the Father are one. And therefore, you and I need to recognize not that he's our elder brother, but that he is the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we should treat him with reverence today. And there's a tempt, of course, to pull him down. And the unbelieving world is doing that. And believers will do well to hold him up. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And you can't draw men to him by running around, calling him by his initials. I think that there should be lots more reverence today, even in many of our churches, than we are finding. We're becoming very familiar today with the Bible, and there's so much today of Bible preaching around. And I feel it's not always sound, but they have a Bible in one hand, and they're very familiar with God. Don't think we get that way. And there needs to be, again, the exaltation of the person of Christ and the humiliation of the person of man. Man's becoming too big today, and God is becoming too small. I appreciate that question. It gave me an opportunity to answer something that I feel is very important today.
0: Well, we hope that you've been blessed by today's program. If you have questions about the Bible, maybe a particular doctrine, or something in general about the Christian faith, then we'd suggest that you contact us for a listing of our current resources or find our online bookstore. They include numerous books as well as booklets, CDs, and then other items that can help you in your own understanding of the Word of God. So for ordering information, just contact our offices or use our online ordering option by going to our website, ttb.org. As we close our broadcast, we'd like to remind you to join us on the Through the Bible radio program heard every Monday through Friday on this station. We'll be continuing Dr. McGee's five-year journey through the whole Word of God, book by book, and chapter by chapter. You know, there are two ways that you can follow along with us on our weekday broadcast. The first is our notes and outlines. If you're a daily listener and you're committed to understanding the truths found in God's Word, then we suggest that you contact us to be placed on the mailing list to receive them with our monthly mailings. Or if you prefer, visit us online and sign up for the electronic version of our monthly newsletter and download any or all of the notes and outlines online anytime for free to contact our offices to purchase any of our resources ask for those notes or to express your interest in the ongoing work of through the bible call one 800 bible do it monday through thursday from 6 a.m to 3 p.m pacific time or write to questions and answers in the u.s box 7100 pasadena california 91109 in canada box 25325 london ontario n6c 6b1 or find us online at ttb.org. And we pray that our God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. This program has been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network.